In the late 80s and early 90s, companies were dead set on convincing parents that video games weren't a complete detriment to their children. In order to change the perspective that games were all bad, companies started to license their characters to development studios who wanted to make educational video games. One of those companies was Nintendo, and throughout the 90s they licensed Mario out to a few development studios that did just that. The result? is a handful of educational Mario games that we're going to teach you all about today. So stick around and join us in Mr. Mario's classroom as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you happy and well. Hello and welcome to the 126th, I think I got that right, episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, console, person, just something relevant to gaming history this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're going to learn all about Mario's educational games. There's a whole series of them. Uh, this week in January of 93, Mario is Missing was originally released for MS-DOS, and we're going to use that to springboard into the whole educational series. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who frequently just randomly gets lost somewhere in the world. Thank God he knows how to zoom into these podcast recordings. He's my way-wearing brother, Rob Casson. Rob, where in the world is Robert Casson? Well, Dave, today we're in the fantastical land of my bedroom. Oh, that's quite an adventure quite the adventure wouldn't you know yeah i um <laughs> quite an adventure used to be uh, my bedroom uh, at one point it's yeah that was a that was no. like 20 30 years 30 years ago <laughs> you're dating yourself dave No, I am not allowed to be able to use 30 years as as a reference of time. <laughs> no. Referencing oh. yourself, oh, too. My God. I am having a sudden existential crisis. Holy Ooh. shit. Oh, I'm going to need a moment. Uh, while I'm taking it, what what have you been playing this week? Well, Dave, this week has only seen Rocket League and RuneScape. It has been quite the uh, slow week with gaming. But nothing wrong with that, getting a lot of those two in and uh, enjoying every second of it. So how about yourself? You been playing anything other than those? No. No, I've played a lot of games in my 30 plus years. <laughs> God, dog it. I can't. I can't. I can't. Ooh. Oh, no, I, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, um. Well, I know you also played Warzone. Oh, I did play Warzone. That's true. But I don't think I played anything else other than. OK, so, you know, I've been playing Melvor Idol, too. Yes, yes, yes. So it's been those four, but I didn't play anything outside of those because, frankly, I didn't have a big gaming week. I mean, that sounds like a lot, but I mean, it was one game here, one game there type deal. So. Um, yeah, so today, Mario's Educational Games. How many, just off the top of your head, how many educational Mario games do you think exist? Do we consider Mario Paint to be educational? No, we're going to nix Mario Paint. That's not part okay. of, yeah, that's not part of the series. All right, I am going to guess then. Albeit the fact that I have never heard of any of them, because it coming to mind, I can't think of one. I'll be shocked if I know any of these. Uh, I'm going to put a, shell, a, a small guess in there and say that there are 10. Okay. Alrighty. Well, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> maybe. 
you know, the kind of in the late 80s, early 90s, educational video games, they kind of had a moment like people were making them and people were playing them and they were popping up in schools and getting news coverage and uh, suddenly they were gaining popularity and there were games in like the super solver series like treasure mountain there were games like the incredible machine math blasters number munchers word munchers have you played any of those uh no i none of these even remotely ring a bell oh Kinda, you'd like yeah. i you'd like the incredible machine you basically make rube goldberg mach, machines to solve puzzles hmm. it's fantastic it does sound pretty interesting, actually. I remember it being on a computer, and I know they've made modern ones, too. I remember being on a computer at school, and I always wanted to play that one, because who doesn't like Rube Goldberg machines? People who don't, don't. like seeing crazy things happen. <laughs> or people that can't wrap their head around that kind of stuff. But if you've got any sort of like logistical or engineering brain, it's going to appeal to you, you know? Hell yeah. So there were also games like Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? We've talked about that before, but you don't really have a reference point for that, right? I've not played that one, no, but I do recall us talking about it, which was in a previous episode. It was. Know. It was a TV mm-hmm. show, too. Yeah. I used to love it as well, a TV show. Well, not us, show. but the... the yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, a TV yeah. show, not us. Carmen Sandiego was a TV show. Yeah. Um, not we Robin t- Dave. We, we did a whole episode on the Oregon Trail, and they remade it in 95, so people were still playing it. Kind of crazy when you think that it was made in the 70s by a guy who wanted to, like, just do a course. He made it for a class and then never saw a penny of it because of the way the whole history progressed. If you want to learn more about it, we did an earlier episode on the Oregon Trail. You can find it on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. It's a really fascinating story. Um, but there were point is, is there were a lot of educational games that were coming out in the nineties and I don't know any other way to say this, but Nintendo loves money. So, you know, it it should come as no surprise that they were going to try and capitalize on this fad. Um, but this was the nineties and the super Nintendo entertainment system had just come out in 1991 and it was a big deal. Uh, uh, it was popular. It was a very big deal. This is when Nintendo was like the system to be. And so really all of their like pedigree teams, like their first party teams, they were all making the, I mean, 91 would have been like Super Mario World and the F-Zeros and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. They're, 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 they weren't going to take those teams and 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 move them over to educational games so in what's kind of a rare move for nintendo they outsourced the creation of a number of educational games starring mario a whole bunch that came out through the 90s i I say kind of outsourced what they actually did is they decided to license mario to some outside development studios who had intended on making educational games using mario but i guess that in hindsight nintendo figured that licensing fees were better than the no fees they would receive by not making these games um yeah a little bit yeah and and there's no doubt that there were benefits to parents seeing mario in an educational setting Uh, If you'll recall, the 90s were a very contentious time in video games. We talked about it in early, really early episode. We did one on Mortal Kombat and Controversy, and that was the mid-90s. The the video games were becoming increasingly popular with the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo. They were getting into homes, and parents were concerned about what video games were exposing children to in terms of you know sex drugs and rock and roll and violence in particular violence so there were news stories all over the place that were you know oh video games are bad video games are going to turn your kids into this oh don't let your kids play video games and so there really wasn't a downside to nintendo letting companies make educational games because it might 
show parents that video games aren't all bad and if you can just slip in the gate with educational games then maybe they'll relent on normal video games too so um there were a whole lot of reasons for nintendo to do this and they did um did it pay off i don't know we'll find out well i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna guess you know probably not probably not probably not but i guess let's find out so the earliest of the bunch is came out in 1991 it was an ms dos game this one was actually like published like nintendo gave like their stamp on it it's a little different from some of the others we'll look at where nintendo had no hand in them whatsoever Uh, but this was an actual nintendo sanctioned game it was an ms dos game so on the computer and it was called super mario brothers and friends when i grow up and what this game quote unquote was it is a digital coloring book and it taught kids about different jobs uh, that people could get by displaying the professions in a digital coloring book so there were a number of professions you could color in little 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 um uh little what's the word i'm looking for they had stories they had little blurbs and then they presented you with a single screen and it was basically color fill you'd click on an area tell it what color you wanted it would fill in that area with the color and you could do a digital you know coloring of all these things so there were a bunch of professions and the professions had these little gems with it so i thought that we would take a couple of them just to kind of I don't know, show you what educational games were like in the 90s. Um, And so I took some of these blurbs. So Rob, how about you read the first one and I will take the boring educational one because that's my role. Okay, Dave. Commander Mario, the astronaut, is supposed to be carrying out a secret mission in space. (laughs) But it looks like he's got company. Oh well, thinks Mario. I don't mind letting a few people in on my secret. Oh Besides, my it's lonely out here in outer space. I I didn't. I can't do an Italian Mario I, accent. It was good. But hey, was good. I might still be better than than uh, the new Mario movie. So you, <laughs> maybe they should have hired me. You know? Uh, <laughs> Yahoo! Wow. Um. Okay. An astronaut is a person who pilots a spacecraft or works in space. Astronauts risk their lives seeking information about the Earth, Moon planets and stars they also conduct important medical and scientific experiments and launch new satellites and repair old ones there are two kinds of astronauts pilot astronauts and mission specialists and of course then that you know you'd get this little blurb and then it would show you a color you know a picture um of mario in space and and yeah you'd color it in now I linked to on our show notes at www.mario.mario.com. <laughs> well, there Mario you go. Wiki. Mario Card Lane. Um, <laughs> Mario Card Lane. www.memorycardlane.com. Uh, at memorycardlane.com, if you go to our show notes, I linked the Mario. Uh, you can check out these games in two different ways. One is I linked the Mario Wiki, which shows you these blurbs and the screenshots to color in. But number two, for every game we're going to talk about today, I found a full, complete walkthrough on YouTube, and I linked to it. So if you want to see what these old games look like, check out the show notes, check out our website, memorycardlane.com, and you can find all of it. A little bit of 90s nostalgia. So first one's an astronaut. Second one is a pharmacist or star- store clerk. Rob, what what do they have on that one? Well, Dave, Mario the Pharmacist and Luigi, the store clerk, make a great team. Oh. Mario handles the medicine, and Luigi handles the money. Pharmacists have a license to prepare and sell medicines that your doctor prescribes to make you well. Today, companies make most prescription medicines. However, pharmacists must sometimes compound some medicines or prepare ointments or other common remedies. They also advise people on the selection of medicines such as cold tablets. A store clerk 
helps the store's customers find the products that the store sells and answers any questions that the customers might have about the products. Hey, you know what's sad? What's sad? Store clerk is, uh, there's a ton of us, myself, you included, that have done our time in retail uh, in something that resembles a store clerk. And uh, they make it sound way better than it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you got a point. It does sound way better. I mean, I guess for some people it could be that way, but you know. It could be. All right, so the third one I put is a veterinarian. What, what do they have to say about a veterinarian? Well, Dave, Luigi, the veterinarian, looks a bit confused. The raccoon that he's examining looks very familiar. In fact... He looks a great deal like his brother Mario. Come to think of it, where is a Mario anyway? Luigi thinks to himself. Veterinarians, or vets, are animal doctors who care for sick animals. Perhaps the most important job that a veterinarian does is caring for sick farm animals. Veterinarians help farmers keep farm animals in good health to prevent the spread of animal diseases to other animals and to humans as well. And... In case you're you're also a bit confused like Luigi, the picture is Luigi examining Mario as he's wearing his tanuki suit, his little raccoon tail suit. So it's it's funny. Honestly, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Attor- attorney. Attorney judge. Mario, the attorney, is a, in a courtroom questioning Bowser, who seems to be a bit nervous for some reason. Is a Bowser telling the truth? And nothing but the truth, Mario thinks to himself. The Honorable Judge, Princess Toadstool, is listening very carefully to what Mario and Bowser have to say. Attorneys are sometimes called lawyers. It is an attorney or lawyer's job to represent members of the public in a court of law to give them advice about the law. A judge is in charge of a court of law. He or she makes sure that the attorneys for both sides of the court case follow the rules of the court when presenting their case. The judge also decides what rules of law apply to each court case. I want to know what age these were geared towards. Like, it's a digital coloring book which says kid kid to me. But, like, these are some dense, dense uh, blurbs, you know? Teach them young, Dave. Teach them young. All right, so the next one we'll look at, I, I think I pulled a handful more. Next one we'll look at is Carpenter. Mario the Carpenter isn't having one of his better days. He just accidentally drove a nail into his foot. From the looks of the playhouse he just built and all of the bent nails on his new project, Mario doesn't yet have the skills to be a master carpenter. Maybe he had better stick to being a plumber. Carpenters build and repair buildings or parts of buildings. They also design, build, and repair cabinets and furniture. Carpenters usually build things with wood. They must be able to follow a building plan or blueprint, and they must be able to use a variety of hand and power tools, such as hammers, hand saws, planers, drills, and power saws. Okay, I got one more, and then we'll move on. Uh, Computer programmer. Mario the computer programmer is having a hard time battling Goombas and other bothersome bugs. He knew that programmers talk about having bugs in their programs from time to time, but this is ridiculous. And of course, it's a picture of like Goombas, you know, wearing like with like antennas coming after him. (laughs) That's great. Computer programmers plan and write instructions for computers known as programs. (laughs) Programs enable us to use computers to do a variety of tasks from playing games to understanding scientific information. After a computer programmer writes a program, he or she tests it to make sure there are no mistakes. Computer programmers call these mistakes bugs. (laughs) Like, they have to explain the joke, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of falls flat when you have to explain it. I know. So there were other professions pictured. We're not going to read the blurbs on them, but there was a plumber, a chef slash waitress, race car driver slash mechanic, scientist, travel guide, medical doctor and nurse, astronomer, ballet dancer, disc jockey, firefighter, professional athlete, armed forces pilot. That's a cool one. Wow. Forest ranger, farmer, marine biologist, musical conductor and musician, 
fashion designer, zookeeper, construction worker is teamed up with police. That's a weird one. I'm sure they're doing a construction and the police is like blocking traffic or directing people around the site. Oh. Um, journalist, teacher, homemaker. That's a cool one, huh? Yeah. Barber is teamed up with postal worker. I don't, I had, I, I didn't look at that one that close apparently. And business executive, uh, which cracks me up. So sounds like Mario and his brother had uh, quite the plethora of jobs to try out before they well, decided that plumbing was what they wanted. Well, I, it is what they 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 must have played on all these and then decided when they grew up that they wanted to be plumbers. Go figure. Go figure. All right, Rob. So do you remember uh, we had a long conversation about him? Do you remember the name Brian Fargo? The name definitely rings a bell, but it like, could just be because of Fargo. Well, Wells Fargo, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He's the Chris guy. Chris Wells who, and Brian Fargo. Yep. He, there you he's go. the guy who founded Interplay. Exactly. And Interplay. That's what I was just going to say. Interplay did what? Do you remember the episode? Uh, that was the episode we did with, with the two that made the game. And it was the, the thing. You're not wrong, because he and a friend made <laughs> games, but the one game, so Wasteland, and the other post-apocalyptic game, which is what? Uh, it would be Fallout, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, we've done episodes on both Wasteland and Fallout. Uh, Brian Fargo was in both of them. Uh, you can, of course, check them out on our website, www.memorycardlane.com. A lot of plugs today. Um, yeah, so we have episodes on those. Um, so Brian Fargo, at some point in the history of Interplay, he stumbled across a game called Mavis Bacon Beacon. Mavis Bacon. Mavis Beacon teaches <laughs> typing. Did you ever have to play that in school? Did oh, ever- yeah. No, I was a big oh. fan of Mavis Bacon. Uh, <laughs> that, that is what we called it in class. We literally oh, called it Mavis yeah. Bacon. I know. So. Me, me too. It's obvious that you did as well when that's yeah. the first thing. It's not even I right know. to say Beacon. No. Who calls it? It's Mavis I, Bacon. I know. All right. So... He stumbled across this Mavis Beacon teaches typing and he saw the success it was having. And he thought that he could make it more appealing to have a popular character like Mario as the teacher. So he went to Nintendo and said, license, please. And Nintendo said, sure, you can have a license to make a Mario typing game. So Interplay went ahead and made a game called Mario teaches typing. It's an MS-DOS compatible game that came out in 1992. It uses Mario to teach you keyboard skills, not just Mario. Actually, you can also play as Luigi or Princess Peach. There were three basically training levels. The beginner one's called Outside. Uh, It is like Mario running across like blocks and turtles. And each of the blocks or turtles have a letter and you have to press that letter to move forward. Really simple. There was another stage called Underwater, which got a little bit more complex, started to put together actual words and punctuation. And you're basically swimming underwater and you're being chased by a cheap cheap or uh, the, the squid thing. And you have to type this type what's up there to stay ahead of um, to stay ahead of the creature and not die. Is it is it the cheap cheap or the squid thing? It's a squid thing. I, it might okay. be both, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. I, I The video I saw had the squid thing, the little bit I watched of it. So I cannot remember. Blooper. Blooper. Thank you. And then the last one was the underground. It looks like a dungeon with the thwomps and everything. And that one actually had like complete sentences at the top of the screen that you had to type along to to be able to run under the thwomps appropriately. Did you have to do it at a certain time or else get crushed by the thwomps? Nah, just you just gotta follow. Uh, it like the the sentences like scroll at the top of the screen and you have to just keep up with it. So um fun little fact. I mean there's not much more to Mario Teach Typing. There were a few other modes, like there was a practice mode that would literally put you in front of like a whole sheet to copy. We all had to do that at one point. Hey, retype this paragraph, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so they had that. Um but Mario Teaches Typing was actually the very first Mario game ever. Not ever. The very first Mario video game in which Mario actually speaks. Uh, in, oh. the first, in the first version, 
which was for MS-DOS. It was actually, he's voiced by Ronald Rubin. But later, they re-released a CD-ROM, like, Windows version, where pretty much the guy we all know as the voice of Mario, Charles Martinet, does the voice of Mario. Um, and so, technically, this is the first game where Martinet is the voice of Mario, but he shares the credits with Ronald Rubin, so it's not really recognized as the first voice he does. That comes with a game we're going to talk about momentarily. So it's kind of weird, but I don't know. Technically, this was the first video game that his voice ever popped into. Hmm. All right, so there, the rest of them... The rest of the games, for the most part, belong to a series of games made by Software Toolworks. Um, Software Toolworks went to Nintendo and they said, hey, we want the Mario license. We want to make some edutainment, is what they called it, um, edutainment titles. And and so they got the license and they created what's now called the Mario Discovery Series. The Mario Discovery Series is a series of about five games that were developed and published by the software Toolworks, and we're going to take a look at discovery series and the first is what we decided on as the topic for today's episode so in january of 93 mario is missing was released to the world so the plot of mario is missing pulled right out of the uh right out of the manual i'm gonna guess that mario went missing good one very nice. That, that's the plot. So in his latest scheme, Bowser decides to flood the earth with hair dryers from have to have it mail order in order to melt Antarctica. I feel like that was in some dumb movie. I don't know. In order to buy the hair dryers, Bowser has his Koopas travel all over the world and steal important landmarks that he plans to sell. Mario, Luigi, and Yoshi follow Bowser to Antarctica to stop him. However, Mario is captured by Bowser when he continues on his own. With Mario captured, Luigi finds himself faced with the task of returning all the stolen artifacts and saving both his brother and the Earth itself. He bravely enters Bowser's castle, leaving Yoshi outside. Inside, he finds a bunch of doors named portals, or passcode operated remote transportation system which allows his Ko- which allows bowser's koopas to teleport anywhere in the world so basically luigi enters a portal which takes him to various cities in the world some of the ones they visit include new york city mexico city parrot paris paris ha ha um and tokyo right. in each city luigi has to basically talk to the people that live there to figure out what city he's in to figure out what has been stolen, and to figure out where it has been taken to. Now, once he knows these things, he has to recover the stolen artifact and then take it to like the correct location in the city where there's a little tourist hut. And when you bring the artifact to the tourist hut, the attendant will ask you questions about the landmark or artifact to ensure that it's authentic. And then once it's been restored... Luigi then takes a photo of the landmark, he places it into a photo album, and he repeats this door by door, level by level of the castle, until he faces Bowser, defeats him, and saves Mario. Fun little fact, this is actually the second game ever in which Luigi is the main character in. The first game, he his, his second game, like a second Luigi solo adventure. The first solo adventure for Luigi was actually only one of those little game and watch games. So some people don't really count it, but this actually is the very first game in which Luigi was the main character where Mario was also in the game. Uh, that doesn't happen again until like 2001 when Luigi's Mansion came out, I think it was. Yeah, I forget the year, but yeah, yeah. around that yeah, during yeah. the GameCube era. So very first game when Luigi gets main billing over Mario, but the second solo adventure he was ever in. I remember Mario is missing. I think i rented it from the video store and played a bunch of it and me being the little nerdy kid who liked to know things especially like history which uh uh, duh is my thing has been since i was a kid 
I, I loved these games. I, and I was a Carmen Sandiego fan, so this is basically Mario as Carmen Sandiego. It was fantastic. Um, I loved this. Uh, now, this was an educational game, but somewhere in the development translation, there were a ton of historical inaccuracies. And Rob, I thought that I would I would point some of them out to you. Of course you would, Dave. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to take credit for finding these. Again, if you go to the Mario Wiki, which we link to in the show notes, they listed all of them, and there are a ton of them. And don't well, look at the, the footer notes to see who contributed the most. <laughs> okay, so what gets me most about these is, like, how hard is it to research? Like, I mean, I know the answer to that because we do this stuff, right? We research. Like, we look at you know wikipedia or newspaper articles or encyclopedias or i've got books or like we have all this stuff to research how do you miss stuff for instance in athens a scientist you talk to says that athens became the capital of greece in 1834 it actually became the capital of greece in 1833 why they missed it by a year i don't know the same scientist also says that 3,000 years had passed between Athens being founded and becoming Greece's capital. Athens was actually founded in 3,000 BC, and it became the capital in 1834 AD, so that's 4,800 years between the two. How? Are you sure that didn't say that it's at least 3,000 years before it became the capital? Because, like, they wouldn't be wrong. Yeah, I guess semantics can be part of that. Although I will tell you that the 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 um the the wiki does note when stuff are wrong because of semantics as opposed to just downright out information. Like they'll say things like technically he's right, but they're also kind of wrong, you know? Okay. Um so in Beijing, a little boy tells you that China is the largest country in Asia, even though Russia is actually the largest country in Asia. Go figure. In Moscow, the height of the central structure of uh, Saint um, of the the um, oh god Saint ba- Saint Basil Cathedral is said to be 107 feet. It's actually 156 feet. How you get such a big difference? I don't know. The names the Bolshoi Ballet and Bolshoi Theater are used interchangeably when they shouldn't be. Bolshoi Ballet is a dance troupe, and the theater is the actual building that they're in. Uh, it claims that the theater sells out every show. Uh, historically, that wasn't happening there. So I'll give them a pass. But this is what cracks me up the most about it, right? Um, the pamphlet you read, uh, basically, like, the Bolshoi Ballet is known for realism. And it correctly, a pamphlet you read correctly attributes the introduction of realism to the ballet to its directors, Alexander Gorsky. Um this is my actual favorite thing. I think this is my favorite one I found, Rob. The pamphlet claims that Gorski served as the director of the ballet until 1942. Uh, Gorski died in 1924. So unless he almost had 20 years of ghost directing, which is possible. I don't know. I don't know how you missed that. I couldn't tell you on that one, Dave. Here's a fun little bit of, of uh, old, um, let's let's call it uh, tongue-in-cheek racism. Not tongue-in-cheek uh, racism. They did a, you, you go to Nairobi, Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And they display many of the buildings in Nairobi as old and dilapidated, with some being held up with sticks and having straw roofs, when in reality, Nairobi is a contemporary, like, steel-built city. Oh. <laughs> um. A tourist that you visit says that he has to fight off lions and elephants when cha- traveling from Mombasa to Nairobi, which is kind of weird because there's a modern highway that directly connects the two cities. Maybe he didn't take it. Maybe he traveled on foot. Who knows? Or the, you know, there could be lions and elephants that found their way onto the freeway. I mean, maybe we find animals on the freeways here all the time. Uh, in Rome, the Sistine Chapel has a pamphlet that describes Michelangelo as painting the Sistine Chapel's uh, complete 10,000 square foot ceiling when all reality is he only painted about 5,700 square feet. That's how big the, of his painting is. 
Wow. I, I, I don't know. Oh, here's a good one. The Pantheon is said to have eight columns. It actually has 16. It's like they looked at a picture and counted and forgot to like that there's other parts to it. You know what I mean? They only saw that the front half and forgot that there's a back half that's I, exactly the same. I guess. I don't know, man. But I just like they're they're just such simple things. Like if you're trying to be an educational game, how would you miss I don't know, something as stupid as fifty fifty feet on the height of a cathedral or twenty years of a guy being dead, you know? perhaps it was the fact that this was to pique your interest so that you could go and find the true answer to the these little facts. So you would learn about it, but you would learn something that was slightly wrong. So it would force you out of morbid curiosity to go verify the information, see that it's wrong, and do more research on your own, promoting further self-education. Maybe. Maybe. I like. Or, you know, some people just didn't really pay that much attention and just said, yep, looks good. Send it off. True. Well, what did people think of Mario is missing, Rob? Well, Dave, Steve Merritt and Rob Whitfield of Nintendo Magazine System both commend the game for succeeding in being both educational and entertaining, unlike most other educational games. They also praise the variety of locations to explore and objects to collect, though they criticize that the core gameplay is a bit repetitive and the city graphics are lackluster. While they acknowledge that Mario fans and older demographics may not derive much enjoyment from the game, they do recommend the game to those who have an interest in geography or under the age of 11. And Martin Alessi with Electronic Gaming Monthly wrote that older, more experienced gamers should not bother with this one. The idea behind it is cute, and younger kids will identify with Mario better than Carmen Sandiego. But the game doesn't promise real action. It is very educational, and kids may actually learn something. Maybe they will. Even if the total information is slightly inaccurate. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. So there was a sequel to Mario's Missing, a follow-up, maybe. Um, the folks who made Mario's Missing got to work on a follow-up pretty quickly, and they called it Mario's Time Machine. Rob, what do you think Mario's Time Machine was about? Uh, I'm going to guess that it is about Mario going to a roller rink. <laughs> That'd be funny. No, Mario's lost in time. Damn. I know. I, I couldn't have guessed that one. So in 1993, Bowser uses a time machine traveling backwards to different points in human history and stealing significant artifacts to place in his personal museum inside the castle. With his collection nearly complete, Bowser gloats that not even Mario can stop him now. Mario realizes that history will change forever if he does nothing, so it's up to Mario to use Bowser's own device against him by returning the artifacts to their proper places in time. So the gameplay of this one, which is Mario instead of Luigi, basically focuses on teaching you the historical significance of each artifact and its associated person to progress through the game. You have to correctly answer questions relating to what you learn about the, the things and the people you visit a bunch of different time periods. You meet a bunch of different people. Uh, some examples are you go to 359 BC uh, Athens, where you have to save Plato's Republic. You go to 1505 AD in Florence, where you have to rescue Da Vinci's notebook. You go to 1752 Philadelphia and find Ben Franklin's key. 1863 Washington, Abraham Lincoln's glasses. It's a mm. fun one. Uh, 1947 Calcutta, Mahatma Gandhi's flag. And an interesting one, 1993 to Novato. To save the floppy disk, you get to learn about the guy who invented the floppy disk. Hmm? It, that, that's definitely an interesting one. Yeah. So, like the other one, despite our their best efforts, uh, not quite the most accurate. There's some really funny ones in here for me. And, and look, of course, with Mario's Time Machine, they're going to want to 
make things a little interesting and and you can't be perfect with all this stuff but still some of them are kind of funny like let's take athens where you meet uh aristotle uh in the game aristotle is an old man but he was born in 384 bc so in 369 bc he would have only been 15 years old <laughs> but I they mean, show back in those days that that that, that, that is pretty that's old. a valid point that is a really valid point um however this is another thing historically he only became aristotle only became plato's student when he was 17 or 18 so everything they talk about in the game historically aristotle or plato rather would have never even known it would never even know little little time loop florence Raphael Sanzio he mentions that he's working on a portrait of the Pope in 1503 he didn't paint any Popes until 1511 and 1518 Raphael also claims that Michelangelo's David statue is 13 and a half feet tall but it's actually 17 feet tall it's a fun one yeah it's pretty big you don't really realize till you see it next (laughs) to someone uh london we visit london we meet charles dickens but you also meet his wife Catherine dickens Catherine dickens mentions all 10 of her children but six of them weren't born until after 1843 and she also references one of charles dickens books that i i've read unfortunately called david copperfield uh david copperfield was first published in 1850 some seven years after you meet him in the game (laughs) Well, see, it's obvious that she was a soothsayer and saw the future of all of this coming to be. Hence, David Copperfield being a magician. Here's some fun ones. Uh, I said you went to Philadelphia in 1752 to rescue Ben Franklin's key. Yep. Mario gets a penny from a character in 1752. And the first pennies weren't minted in America until 1793. Hmm. Uh, Mario also gets a postage stamp at some point. And the first American stamps weren't even introduced for almost 100 years in 1842. Nice. Um, oh, Tuskegee. You meet Tuskegee and uh, George Washington Carver, but you also meet Booker T. Washington and Henry Ford. In fact, Booker T. Washington and Henry Ford are working together in the game, and they've never met in real life. That was a fun one. Little Little historical flourish. I might give that a pass, though. Is it really pronounced... The, the however you pronounce i've always heard it pronounced tuskegee 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 yeah it's probably yeah. tuskegee you're right i'm just tuskegee that's what you said i said tuskegee because i have it spelled wrong I, i'm now oh. looking at my notes and i spelled it out phonetically like my misspelling but oh. it is tuskegee tuskegee Tus- you got it okay okay Woo. yeah Tuskegee? 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 Tuskegee. 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 Ah, well, I'm not perfect. I do have it misspelled on the notes, though. I just definitely, you said it weird, and I was like, have I been hearing it pronounced wrong all this time? No, probably not. Well, so I also remember playing Mario's Time Machine. Big fan. A lot of fun. Of course, this one's more historically relevant. Uh, little me wouldn't have known any of these inaccuracies so the one of the best things about this one is most of these people were photos and encyclopedia entries and yes i'm saying encyclopedia entries because in the 90s when this came out we didn't have the internet yet what? Uh, i know crazy right so all the time before the internet yeah <laughs> so all the history that we learned was from books and encyclopedias so all these people were just encyclopedia entries to me or books I got from the library. And suddenly here's a game. Yeah, it's a Mario game. But all these people are like living, talking people. And that like was so cool to this probably would have been what? 10 year old me. Um, that was so cool. It, it actually turned these into people, you know? Yeah, no, that is pretty interesting. So what did, I mean, what... it's kind of similar to to for my sense would be more like uh, Assassin's Creed, though. Oh, there's only yeah. One or what... two. I guess there are in each different one. There are different big names, but 
I mean, in each specific game, you're only seeing one or two people that are notable. No, no, no. One, 100% agree with you. Assassin's Creed is phenomenal for that. Um, even if it's not perfect history, like it, it's such a, you, you get such a good sense of what's going on in them. I mean, we did an Assassin's Creed episode. We talked about that. I think it's great. So, so what did other people think about Mario's time machine? Well, Dave, in the February of 94 issue of GamePro, Marvin Kubejic called Mario's time machine an engaging way for little kids to learn history while having fun. In his review, he wrote that the game design is simple, but little kids will need someone with good reading skills and reading comprehension to make this time trip. He noted that the dialogues with historical figures are original and witty, and the scenarios make flesh-and-blood human beings out of people who are just static pictures in a textbook. All in all, he felt that that average GamePro reader simply wouldn't find the gaming challenging at all. To just leave it for kids under 12. There you go. So I guess I'm not the only one that was excited to actually meet people that were just members of history. So No, it's like you said, before then, that was they were just in a textbook and you finally got to see them in a little more animated way. And, you know, I don't know much about the game, but you might have even got to hear him speak. Maybe. All right. So the last there's uh, not the last there's three games. Three games are part of a series called Mario's Early Years. These are the last three of the Mario Discovery series, of which there were five. The first of Mario's Early Years was called Fun with Letters. It was a game intending that that basically sought out to teach the basics of the English language to young children. Each role in the game presented a specific task to players. So tasks would range from filling in words to complete sentences, finding words to complete a specific sound, or aligning three objects to start with the same letter. They made another one called Fun with Numbers, which teaches like grouping, separating, organizing objects, and thinking about various numbers and, and, and counting through songs. And then the last one was called Preschool Fun. Preschool Fun basically teaches learning materials for children in preschool, a little bit of a mix of mathematics and English language, but geared towards preschools. Uh, so those were the Mario early year games. Not much about those. They were part of the Discovery series. And so you have five of those. All right. Now, there were a couple others that were made, one of which that came later in 1995 uh, or is called, I said, or. So one that hmm. came out in 95 is called Mario's Game Gallery. I said, or, because a year later it was re-released when it was ported as a game called Mario Fundamentals in 96. It basically, it's not really an educational game, but it kind of is. It's not a traditional Mario game, so we're going to add it here. And basically, it has five board games, like Checkers, Backgammon, Go Fish, Dominoes, and Yahtzee. It does have voiced Mario, because you play face off against him. And all the voice in this game was done by Charles Martinet. So, it... it, it I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that huh. most people assume that Mario 64 was the first time that we ever heard Martinet's voice in a video game, but there was actually two games before that um, called, you know, here Mario Fundamentals and Mario Teaches Typing that uses voice. In fact, there are two other things before Mario 64 that uses voice. The earliest time they used his voice was like 92. There was a Super Mario pinball machine that Martinet did the voice for, but never got credit for. It's an uncredited performance. And then when Nintendo was actually, when Nintendo was getting everyone excited for the, the Nintendo 64, they actually took a, like a 3d version of Mario's face. And they made a, a they made a real time, like talking thing. So like, it was literally called Mario in real time and Martinet would be in a different room with a microphone and have a camera and people could walk up to it and talk to Mario and Martinet would be behind there having conversations with them. And they took it to trade shows and they took it to like the Mario, the Nintendo store and they went around with Martinet as it and people could interact with Mario and that's kind of how they hyped everyone up for Mario 64. I remember that. It was kind of fun. Did you go and see that in person? I did not, no. Oh, you didn't get to talk to Martinet? That's pretty pretty sad. No, but 
But yeah, so you had Super Mario Pinball, you had Mert, Mario in real time, you had Mario Teaches Typing, and then you had Mario Fundamentals. And those games all came out before what most people think was his the first time we heard Martinet's voice, which is Mario 64, because uh, that came out in like 96 or 90. To be fair, Dave, I'd never heard of any of the other ones, and Mario 64 is, in my mind, the first one, because I, I, I've i never heard of any of them. I mean, Mario Fundamentals, like, capital F-U-N, Fundamentals, like, <laughs> come on, I think I would have remembered that. True. Uh, Alright, so Round in the Bend, that's that's pretty much, there's one more Mario game that doesn't really fit in all the other categories. I don't know if it's educational, but we're going to talk about it here because I don't really have anywhere else to talk about it. And Wikipedia puts them on the educational game entry. Uh, so here we go. There was a game made for the Famicom disc system, so Nintendo's kind of computer, uh, called I Am a Teacher super mario sweater came out in 1986 and it was a game designed by royal industries uh with nintendo's blessing royal industries was a japanese appliance and sewing machine company and it was a program in which you could design a sweater that you wanted and the company would make it for real for about 24 dollars in 1986 so wow people could make mario sweaters and pay and send in the in the uh and send it in with 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 uh, the the pattern back into royal and they would make the sweater and send it to you that's actually pretty dope it is pretty cool and look go watch the uh the playthrough of it it's literally on there i didn't think i would find a playthrough for something as obscure as super mario sweater but there's actually a really cool youtube channel called nintendo complete that's like trying to find every single nintendo like game and get playthroughs and all of these are on there i thought this was going to be hard i thought early years was going to be impossible nope people have found them and there are definitely playthroughs from them and this is so detailed like you can put like your knitting needle gauge type deal detailed holy uh, crap um it's kind of nuts when it gets down to it how detailed it really was so yes if you include that uh, two Discovery Series is five, and before the Discovery Series, we had uh, Typing, and we had uh, When I Grow Up. So what's that? Seven, nine, and technically, Rob, you're right. I may have only put nine, but they actually made a sequel for Mario Teaches Typing called Mario Teaches Typing 2. So ten, coincidentally, if my math is right, happens to be spot on click click boom <laughs> i didn't think you were right i really had it in my mind that you were not but now in hindsight as i'm revisiting everything um congratulations so well it's as they say david is wrong very true very true well look guys uh i i hope that we entertained you for this now 50 some minutes with all these educational mario games you know sometimes it's really hard to convey the importance or what a game is about it's a visual medium and we're trying to do this in an audio setting so for you to see things better quite literally we've gone through and we've found playthroughs of all these games and we've posted links to said playthroughs on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also on www.memorycardlane.com, you can find links to other episodes. We have 125 other episodes. Go nuts. You can find a calendar of upcoming events. You can find a link to email us your own opinions of the game if you'd like us to read them on air. You can find links to our Discord where we play games. Join us, come and scream at us. Or you can find links to our social media. Rob, just hit mine on the head. I can be found in various social media platforms as David is wrong. And Rob, where can people find you these days? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, on that note, uh, what did we learn, Rob, each week, ladies and gentlemen? We teach you 
we tell you a story and teach you through a story. We tell you a story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. This week, we taught you all about the educational games that star Mario. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the games, uh, what they took from the world as their inspiration, or what they gave back to the world as their legacy. One of the best parts about doing this week in, week out is the fact that we learn. We learn. You know, when you teach, you learn. Any teacher will tell you that. It's one of the best parts. It's not like I remembered. I played Time Machine. I played Mario Was Missing, but I never knew where they came from, and I sure as heck didn't remember the inaccuracies. So it's fun to learn new things through this process. As part of that commitment to teaching you and understanding that we learn, each week we like to go round table and talk about what we've learned this week. So Rob, what did you learn? Well, Dave, I personally learned that there are 10 educational Mario games that I never knew existed. I mean, I would have loved a Mario themed Mavis Bacon. That would have been freaking awesome. And I mean, granted, I enjoyed typing and I did very well in the class because of that fact. Uh, It would have been much cooler if it was Mario talking at me saying, hey, type this shit and save my life instead of just, you know, the the Mavis Bacon car or whatever you're doing in that. I I, I don't know. It's been 15, 20 years since I've done that. I don't remember at this point. Holy shit. It's been 20 years. Um, But I think my favorite thing about all of this is what you just shortly mentioned ago is the inaccuracies. I think it's kind of hilarious. Like, obviously, you know, I don't expect people to get things hundred percent right. Everyone makes mistakes, but you would think that in a game designed to teach history, they would have done a slightly better job of learning that history. I mean, I could see them getting one or two things out of time, like the the wrong timeline. Like, okay, you know, maybe the the Charles Dickens' wife part, they got the year a couple years off, but everything else is pretty spot on. But I mean, it seems like everything they had had some kind of inaccuracy. You got to really wonder who their fact checker was and if they were ever fact checker again. Very true. Aren't they even fact checked? That's I (laughs) did. They have a fact checker. Did they just have someone look at the encyclopedia and they they just they half looked at it, said, oh, that looks good. Uh, Here we go. You know, part of me was trying to to go through some of those inaccuracies, like with the the Sistine Chapel or the uh, the height of um, I forgot what the height was. Hundred and seven hundred and fifty something was the difference. But I was trying. I can't remember exactly what that was at the moment. Uh, Do you remember, Dave? What the um, St. Basil Cathedral? Yes, Basil? thank you. St. Basil Cathedral being the height difference. I, I tried my best to say, oh, you know, maybe someone had feet instead of meters and they just no one else has somehow figured this out, which I'm sure someone would have by way before me. But, you know, just something to give lend credit to them to see how close. And it's it's just wildly inaccurate still. I mean, you're talking 107 feet or 156 feet is 47 meters. It's not even close. It's not like, oh, well, it was a translation error or something like that. We're just talking outright wrong. It's it's astounding. Yeah, I know. I agree. one or two I could I could uh, I could look past, but I mean, you mentioned quite a few in that short amount of oh, time. Oh, that list is I I mean, it's huge. I I didn't even touch them. So, I figured that there were quite a few more than what you had mentioned cuz I mean, just just being able to quickly wrap off that many of them, it's for an educational game, you just <laughs> was it more about what I said is just forcing someone to or not forcing, but piquing someone's interest enough for them to go and do the additional education on their own, because clearly you weren't learning the right stuff from this. Very true. So what about you, Dave? What was your favorite takeaway? Uh, learning, learning about Charles Martinet's earlier voice acting. I, I knew Fundamentals was his. Like, I thought Fundamentals was his first game, and I guess, it, like, it's weird, because if you look at, like, its Wikipedia entry, it kind of says it was, but I didn't know about, like, the pinball game, or I didn't even know he was the voice in Teach's Typing. Um, that was new to me, too, so it was um, it was fun learning that. That was kind of, a for me, a little important thing um, that I learned about. It is pretty cool. I mean, he's definitely one of the most recognizable voice actors for... A character. I obviously wouldn't recognize him in person, but his voice, you would definitely know that anywhere. Um, we've been growing up with it for 
quite a many years. Right, right, right. All right. Well, on that note, I think we'll take it out of here. So before I do, what would you like to add to today's episode? As always, I do want to take a quick moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It means the world to us, and we enjoy knowing that you're on this crazy journey called life with us. So sit back, relax, and take a listen to another episode. Very, very true. All right, Rob. Well, next week, we're going to learn all about an 80s game in which players could compete for real-life prizes, including one called the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery. Ooh, this is like early online gambling. Kind of, sort of. Originally produced by Atari, Sword Quest was a series of video games through which players could compete for a series of prizes whose total value was about $150,000. But it was a contest inevitably won by no one. I know, right? Next week, we're going to take a look at the contests. We'll take a look at the Sword Quest series, and we're going to learn exactly what happened as we search for the falafel. As we search for the falafel, because I'm hungry. Uh. (laughs) Let me uh, not stumble. As we search for the Philosopher's Stone, I'm not going to cut any of that out, just so you know. Nice. Yeah, we'll search for the Philosopher's Stone, guys. So join us for yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do-do-dop-do-dop-da-dop-da-do-wop-a-boo-a-da-ba-da-dam.